On today's show, let's start off the week by talking about Evan Mobley and where he gets better from here. Let's dive in. You are Locked On Cavs, your daily Cleveland Cavaliers podcast. The music you heard on the way in is from our friends at Astral Radio. I'm Chris Manning. That is Evan Damerel. Thanks again to Jake Stevens, as always, for his production. We are going to go team every day covering all things Cleveland Cavaliers. Today's show is all about Evan Mobley. Obviously, one of the most important, intriguing, essential pieces to where the Cleveland Cavaliers are right now and where they're going. We're going to look, as we have been with some recent episodes, discussing where these guys go. And Evan, I think the only place to start with Mobley in this case is that I think to look back a little bit, I I do think Mm -hmm. my posit to you is that in year two, Evan Mobley was, if not a different offensive player than year one, in a meaningful way, like I don't think his overall game changed in a massive way. I do think he was a better offensive player in year two versus his rookie season. Yeah, I. so it's hard. If you look at the counting stats, the numbers seem somewhat or maybe even less than somewhat similar or less than what they were compared to his rookie season. But it's a lot of intangible stuff when it comes to Evan Mobley's like impact on the offensive side of the ball. Of course, like the defensive upside is always there when it comes to Evan Mobley and the Cavs, but offensively, there's a lot of unique, interesting things the Cavs explored with him. You saw him try to stretch the floor a little bit more. Uh, you didn't see it happen in a reliable clip. You saw him try to initiate the offense a little bit more in terms of just being like a ball handler or a playmaker in certain lineups or scenarios. And again, didn't come to fruition. And so you could say the rookie season for Mobley was like the groundwork for what he was defensively, whereas his sophomore season was kind of the groundwork of what his potential could be offensively. And it does make it exciting. Like what can he be as a player overall? But it's more just like, where do we go from here? Just because again, like the the Cavs got punked in the first round of the playoffs and lost super early. So we don't have like a ton of data and like super meaningful basketball with like Evan Mobley, maybe showcasing what he can and can't do at the highest stage or the highest level. But we at least have a pretty healthy body of work from his regular season to play. It's just now, where does he go from here? It's like, I circle back to that question. A couple numbers to kind of illustrate this. Usage rate went down, which is interesting. I mean, they have added Donovan Mitchell, of course, his usage rate zipped a little bit by less than a percent. So basically, even mm-hmm. turnover percentage slightly better, assist user ratio slightly better, assist percentage half a percent better. Where you see, I think, the difference is in his shooting at the rim. I think this is where things change and where I would make the case that he is was a better offensive player in year two. Effective field goal percentage is still below average for a big. He was at 56.6% last year. He was at 523 as a rookie. Mm-hmm. Shooting percentage at the rim, 73% as a rookie, 78% in year two. We talked about this with Darius Garland. He was Darius Garland's lob partner um, in a lot of ways. If you look at his percentage, like his, his frequencies, 51% of his shots at the rim, that's 5% up. Mm-hmm. From two, his other shot percentages, Largely the same. He basically cut out long mid-range shots 
and took more shots at the rim. That's like close to one to one is where his is that change happened. That just mm-hmm. made him more efficient and simplified his offensive game. And I still think you saw, to your point, you know, some post ups, some mid range jumpers, some other things that I think in, it would give you optimism that there's another leap to come in that way. But I, I think where I look at it is you look for him in year two. It wasn't about him adding the three, which we talk so much about. It wasn't, you know, really, I think, doing anything super different. It was just he got more looks at the rim and made a lot of them. And there's there's something very simple but effective about that in, in making someone a better big big man as an offensive player. No, I, I think we're on the same track where and it's interesting you noted like the, the mid range shot was abandoned uh all but long entirely. Long, like long mids. They took short mids, long. but like the junk mids, the mids you don't want to take. Yeah, and do you think that's more of like a product of him stepping out to the three point line a bit more, or just more so like, hey, he's a pick and roll partner with Darius Garland, like he's a legitimate lob threat for uh just in that like sense where Garland is very good at operating the pick and roll and finding um Mobley or just any of his bigs in that scenario. But like that's an interesting evolution and I'll pass the buck back to you after I talk about it. But like it's just there's a lot of smaller things where you're like, okay, yeah, there's a lot of cool, neat stuff the Cavs could like explore with this is in I'm I'm curious. I, I wish I was like a fly in the wall of the Cavs in general, where I could just like see like how comfortable is Evan Mobley maybe trying some of these things or maybe doing some of these things because he talks about how he wanted to become more of a shooter or more of a ball handler and pick and rolls or just initiating the offense or just being like an offensive hub in so many different ways. Like, is it a comfort thing or is it the Cavs not really running like a super complex offense? Like, I'm curious to see how Cleveland approaches this heading into year three for Mobley where he takes this proverbial leap, but more so than anything like the numbers are interesting especially like the low usage rate like he's in hyper efficient which is it, which doesn't surprise me um mm-hmm. because it's a big man who does rely on his guards to set him up but like you said donovan mitchell being entered into the mix certainly lowers that percentage quite a bit but like for how integral evan mobley is on the defensive side of the ball and expected to be on the offensive side of the ball like that that is an interesting interesting stat like he can make impacts in so many different ways without the ball in his hands like that's something what you really want from a big man that uh is just kind of growing and maybe figuring out who he is as a player i i i think i think mitchell coming in really does just like cut some shots out of his diet, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I do think Mitchell comes in and is taking shots and is attacking areas of the floor that are going to cut into some of that long-range stuff. Long-range stuff. I do think him being more, just standing outside the three-point line at times probably impacts that as well, and he's not someone who's dribbling into those shots, right? Like, it's not like mm-hmm. we're seeing Evan Mobley dribble into those things in that way, so I think that's that's probably no, that's notable to me as well. Um, mm-hmm. I get, let me ask you this, Jesse, before we look ahead a little bit more, if you're thinking about where he goes from here, is that year too concerning to you at all in terms of development? Is Mobley not getting more of a chance to spread his wings, not being so additive in year two? Is that at all concerning when you think about his trajectory? Yes and no. Um, I think it's a product of the Cavs becoming a winning team super quickly, uh, and J.B. Bickerstaff has noted like, young guys that are drafted as high as Evan Mobley usually put up a lot of like inflated or garbage stats because it's on a bad team and the quote unquote best player, which in this case would be Evan Mobley is supposed to get most of the shot opportunities. But like 
the Cavs were in an interesting enough spot where Mobley's rookie season, they were a fringe playoff team. They were a playing squad because of Jared Allen and Darius Garland becoming all-stars and just kind of everything hitting right for them. Uh, last season, obviously, with Donovan Mitchell, it changes the calculus quite a bit. And it's just like when I look at it, that lens, like Evan Mobley is such a unique player that like there's already kind of an unprecedented development path on what he can or maybe cannot be as a player. But you do, I don't want to say put him in a box, but you kind of miss those opportunities where the Cavs, if they were still a bad team, maybe like year one, maybe part of year two for Evan Mobley's just NBA career where like he gets all those opportunities to grow. So like, yeah, there are limitations in that regard, but I, I think about how bigger staff's just like, yeah, it's, it's an unprecedented situation, but also the fact that like he's kind of comfortable doing that. So I think it's interesting because the Cavs are allowing him to develop at his own rate and just maybe what his own comfort and familiarity is at the end of the day too. So I don't know. It's yes and no things. You're like, yeah, you want to see him like really hit the throttle and just kind of be this otherworldly player that you and I and many others think he can be, but no, at the same time, because it can really kill the flow of what the Cavs are trying to build in the big picture, which isn't just, Evan Mobley, it's the Cleveland Cavaliers as a whole. Yeah, I think the line they're going to have to walk is that the best version of Mobley means the best version of the Cavaliers. Yeah. I agree. And also that you have this other version of things that doesn't need him to be win a lot of games, but you hit a high, I would argue. And I think you have to consider how much, how do you emphasize him more to win more games? I think is, mm-hmm. is a really fair question. All right, coming up next, let's talk about where this is going. Where does Mobley go on offense in year two? What, what could you, what should you look for him to do on offense coming up next season? Today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel. Snap into the NFL season right now with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. That's $200 in bonus bets, win or lose. So if you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to get in on the action. The app is so easy to use. There's a wide range of betting options, including spreads, player props, over-unders, and more. So visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn and kick off the NFL season. That's FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. FanDuel has great odds on the Browns, Cavs futures as well. So check all of it out. Again, FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. All right, coming back here, LockedOn Cavs podcast, Chris Manning and Evan Damerel with you. So what what is next? Evan, if you were going to, let's, let's talk through it. What, as far as skills, is there a type of shot? Is there a... A, a thing you would like to see him do that he could do that to you would, would make some sense as far as him adding this as he goes into year three. It's a product of what can he do as a player? Cause I think he's capable of doing it, but it's more so the Cavs structuring the offense towards his strengths a bit more because in terms of like pecking order at the end of the season, number one option is Donovan Mitchell. Two is Darius Garland. Three is Mobley. Four was Allen. And you could flip flop three and four, depending on what Mobley had going on on the floor that night. But like in terms of just like offensive production, I am morbidly curious to see if the Cavs actually do use him as an offensive hub and like let him act as like the creator and the guy who's just seeing how the defense is reacting to the offense and let Darius Garland and Donovan Mitchell play off ball a bit more, maybe get more easier opportunities. Maybe that's whether that's at the top of the key 
or in the low block or even if he's just posting up and just finds easy reads like that like there's ways the Cavs can kind of just like play to the strength of what Evan Mobley is as a playmaker and shot creator for the Cavs and just make it a little bit more conducive to that and then if you flip flop to the defensive side of the ball I, I'm curious to see how comfortable is he defending in space still like he was one of the best isolation defenders in basketball last year does or do the Cavs fully lean into that defensively? Does Mobley lean into that more defensively just to see like, okay, uh, given the situation and the matchup, like if we have to have like Evan Mobley defend the opposing team's best perimeter player, we're not SOL because he's much, much more capable of doing it than he was compared to year two. What, what are your thoughts just heading into year three and like what you're hoping Mobley pops with or just in a similar vein of the question you asked me? Well, I think I'm trying to keep the. I think for now, this is offensive specific. I, I think okay. I'm trying to answer this offensive specific. The defensive stuff we're going to talk about in segment three. I think the offense is like the big, it, it is, it is the bigger question of where he's at. I want it. There's two things. I think number one, does he look stronger? Like, does he, is he just, that's valid. It does, does he like have like a, a base that allows him to maybe have easier fadeaways, get more N ones um, in year two? If you look at his his ability to draw fouls, like Evan Mobley is not someone right now that is always finishing through guys. There, I think he was stronger in year two, but he has an N one percentage that actually went down last year for whatever reason. It got huh. fouled a little bit more, but his N one percentage went down last year, and I don't think that's indic- like a sign that he just isn't built that way and whatever and there's probably other reasons you could explain to that that i'm not coming to me or that someone smarter than me could tell you but -hmm. it dropped and like it dropped two percent and like that little edge if you could bump that you know four percent the other way this season and get above average at that that's added points like in you know can he get above 70 percent as a free throw shooter that would be a nice combination just to kind of egg some things on there I think th- I think the other thing is is offensive rebounding. Um, I I think yeah. especially when he's at the five. I don't know if those lineups right now or when those lineups you we should expect them to be better rebounding when it's him at the five now and on the floor. I think that's maybe a conversation in a preseason episode we could have is what are your expectations for Mobley as a rebounder? But he had like a a like a decent like a little below his offensive rebounding rate improved last year. 7.5%, 41st percentile, so a little below average. It was up like almost mm-hmm. a percent over a rookie year. You know, can that get juiced up a little bit and he becomes someone who gets a ton of garbage check-in chance points? That's not the sexiest thing. That's not the thing you're necessarily like, man, that's the future of my franchise right there, like getting a lot more of his points on offensive rebounds. Mm-hmm. But when you have Darius Garland and you have Donovan Mitchell and you have these shooters now... That, that to me is like a very obvious way to, without messing up the ecosystem of what you might try to be built here, that Evan Moby can get more if he kind of takes in his hands a little bit, grabs offensive rebounds, and, and make it going. Yeah, and I think that's an interesting way to look at it, just because, especially with just the, the, the way the season ended for the Cavs, they were killed on the offensive class. If Evan Mobley, I don't want to say draws inspiration, but maybe finds some type of just juice like okay maybe i can make an impact similarly to like what new york does in terms of second chance opportunities like i'm comfortable playing off of darius and donovan like you said he's at the five so like those guys it might be more three-point heavy lineups especially if the three-point shot doesn't convey immediately for mobley like you you can kind of focus on other avenues where he can make an impact like those second chance opportunities could be huge because also he does have the vision and the passing acumen to kick it back out to a guy in the perimeter because 
if Evan Mobley's at the five and with just like the numbers in year two saying that he was super, super efficient at the rim, he's very good at the rim in general, like defenses are going to collapse on him if he gets an offensive board. And like, that's an easy three point opportunity for the Cavs. So like the, the offensive rebounding is interesting, just especially because like that was the thing that killed the Cavs. If they could just turn what hurt them so much last year into his strength, whether it's through him and Jared Allen or just Evan Mobley in general, um, like that, that would be a pretty interesting development. And like you were talking about how if he has the strength, the core, that's what I was kind of thinking of when you first were leading with that. Like, Oh, is he going to talk about offensive rebounding? Because if Mobley has the strength to, I don't want to say crash the glass, but attack the boards on second chance opportunities, like that could be huge for the Cavs. Like that could unlock obviously so, so much for them because it just gives them more opportunities for their, offensive dynamos at the one and the two to just kind of keep killing opponent opposing defenses. I mean, honestly, if Tristan Thompson's only benefit the Cleveland Cavaliers is, is explaining. Yeah. Like explaining the art of just grabbing an offensive rebound by Tristan Thompson. Like that's his Ted talk for Allen and Mobley. Yeah. Like I, (laughs) I don't know if that's, that's the thing you that eat that will, will happen. Um, they're different. Pers- those guys are also, kind of, as far as we understand it, I think like a little bit different personalities. Um, not like in a bad way, but they're just, I think, a little bit different. Tristan, I think, talks a lot more than, than Evan does. Um, hey, Tristan's going to get Evan out of his shell. He's going to be the one who cracks the code. Yeah, if Evan's starting to be clubs at 3 in the morning in New York City, then I, then I, I love some questions. But... Uh, Evan being this person who, as a player, who... Okay, here's the other thing. I want to see them just run stuff through him just to let him do it. He didn't do it a ton last yeah. year. Like, sometimes... But last year was like, hey, you want to post up? You want to post up, Evan? You want to do the most inefficient thing that no, that very few of the, even the best big men in the league can, like, make into a plus possession half the time? Let's do some DHOs. Let's let him run it in inverted pick and roll. Like, let's do some real weird stuff for them. I think the talent yeah. is there, but you got to do it. And I understand that's going to sacrifice Mitchell possessions and Garland possessions and have some learning pains. Um, that's I, the beauty of the regular season is you're allowed it. to experiment and try that stuff because then you know, one, where's the comfort level at at this time? Two, can we practice this a bit more? And three, should we try this again? And that all adds up to the final option where can we turn this into a wrinkle or an offensive tool or skill set come postseason time? So, because like if there's not a ton of footage of like the Cavs doing weird things, they have him open and letting him try and experiment things, like, yeah, you can try some unconventional stuff and maybe throw opposing defenses off kilter a little bit. Over under Evan Mobley, look at his counting stats. Over under Evan Mobley, um, usage twenty percent. It's like eighteen point eight last year. Does it get above twenty this upcoming season? Um, that's a good question. I, think, I, I I'm gonna go yes. I over twenty. Mm. That's a that's the like in my defense. I picked the very marginal jump. So I think he'll be slightly below 20 just because one, he's so comfortable with the ball in his hands. And two, you have two ball dominant guards leading the offense and Mitchell and Garland. So like those 
kind of counteract the percentage opportunities. I mean, sure, I, I'm happy to be yeah, wrong, it, but I think it's going to be slightly below 20, like 19.5%. Yeah, that's a very, I, I think 20 is going to happen. Okay, then points per game. He averaged 16.2 last season. 59.5% on twos. That was a, a big jump. Again, we talked about the rim efficiency. Does he get up to 18.5 above 18.5 or above points per game? I think he does just because it's year three. You're hoping for a bit of an offensive explosion. I think 18.5 ish. It goes all the way up to like very high 19s, like flirting with the low 20s on a night to night basis. We're like, okay, I mean, you're our clear number two or even number three option, depending on just who's cooking at the number two spot possibly. But like, we're still kind of waiting for him to become that number one guy, but you, you give him that room to grow. And uh, yeah, I, I think that's a reasonable number. All right. Coming up next, where does Evan Mobley go on the defensive end? All right. Coming back in, Evan, you were talking about uh, him switching. Why don't you, let's go back to that. What were you thinking about as far as him switching, as far as him that that raising its game on the defensive end of the floor so it is interesting because there were a lot of moments where you, you saw flashes of it in year two forever mobley where like he would be or opposing defenses rather would like switch mobley onto like their best perimeter player i'm thinking like brooklyn with james harden at the time or even phil no sorry even philly with james harden at the time um or like Kyrie or kd when they were with the nets or even mikhail bridges when he was the net with the nets as well like i'm thinking of those teams or even like jalen brunson with the knicks like i'm not saying it's like perfect but you didn't see mobley shy away from those opportunities you saw him actually become quite comfortable with it i i, I don't have the stats in front of me currently but like i tracked it for quite a bit and he was one of the league's better isolation defenders or at least showed that if you are going to switch one of the Cavs seven footers onto one of your smaller perimeter players who's hoping to take advantage of playing with a slower footed big man against them, it's you're going to have an easier time possibly having Jared Allen go up against you than you would have in Mobley because he's showing that he's one comfortable doing it and two like willing to do it as well, which is the fascinating thing with me and him, just how he acts defensively in general, because Mobley just kind of grades out as a pretty solid isolation defender and like that's a fun defensive wrinkle for a coach like jb bickerstaff who focuses and prioritizes defensive first approach and if you have mobley kind of acting as like one of your better primary defensive options because he's so multifaceted as a defender but like that becomes like one of his like true true strengths that he can lean on like that's a really good thing because he is quite literally impactful on anywhere on the floor when it comes to defense here are the powerful last year uh, estimated defensive plus minus, um, which you know again, not always the, not always a catch-all, be-all stat. Evan Mobley was uh, plus one point one per hundred in in that role. He like in terms of estimated plus minus in that way, like that's close to Embiid, that's close to like Bam out of bios in there. Like so there's there's guys you know point plus three, plus three, and mm-hmm. you know, Jackson for, for him, but like as a, as a point of comparison, is that plus three estimated plus minus on defense, which is like outrageous. And I think tells you, you know, why Jaron Jackson, you know, one defensive player of the year. Um, I think Jaron Jackson is like the, some of the ways that he's able to just shut everything down on the switches and he's a little bit older mm-hmm. and we have to just, you know, he's not infallible either, nor is Mobley. Like you're going to see defenders get beat at times. 
I think you look at that, and to me, it's whether it's on switches, whether it's in the paint, whether it's more impact blocks and just kind of being just kind of an outrageous block in that way while continuing not to foul mm-hmm. very much. I think that's the path. I, I think he, he already was a defensive player of the year finalist. Yeah. He was outrageous and even think there's a real case to do to be that good. He already like pretty much everywhere you look, like he has amazing numbers and foul a lot, you know, close to average on steals, a little below. Um really good block rate. I think all of those things, if they leap and he I think it's like a feel thing. As much as I am like often a stats and film person, I think there's mm-hmm. for him, it's gonna feel like there's another leap that has come, and it's just, we're just gonna know. I, is, does yeah. that make sense? Like, does that make sense? No, it does make sense because it's it's kind of what I talked about in terms of just like his development as a player. Like the it, it, the way Evan Mobley has evolved as a player for the Cavaliers has been at kind of at his own pace since he came to the NBA and. there's going to be a moment where we see him like visibly and tangibly level up, whether it's just watching the games itself or just like you have like actual hard statistical data that shows that he is taking that quote unquote leap that you're hoping he makes. But there is going to be a moment where it all clicks. It may be at the beginning of the season, maybe a couple weeks. It may not be till towards the end of the season, but like there's going to be a moment where like Evan Mobley really pops as a player. And yeah, that absolutely makes sense to me because it's just all going to come together for him because he's just kind of just such a unique player um, just in terms of what he can do on offense and defense, which we're focusing on defense right now. But like, there's going to be a moment where just everything just clicks together and you're like, oh, holy cow, like the Cavs have like a legitimate second best player on their team who is their third option. Yeah, and I look, I think he's already the best player on the defense. And I, I guess if there's one, if there's a statistical thing to look at, they were plus 6.3. Um, so this isn't even like fair. I thought this was going to, I remember these being lower. Like even so, even him at the five lineups that were, they played a good amount, obviously, plus 8.2 per 100. Uh, last year uh, overall p- tell teams to 109.3 that's in the 93rd 93 percentile of uh, defensive that's like very very good insanely good turnover he just didn't rebound well that was the big issue here's here's I guess the the question I guess is it thinking about him as a five Evan if you're building mm-hmm. here's here are the, the the most common guys that played the four next to Mobley next year the two most common in these lineups were Lamar Stevens <laughs> who's now gone Isaac Okora was third, under 100 possessions, though. Jetty Osmond, also gone. Dean Wade was 66 possessions and 63 possessions in his most common lineup. You run down the list, like, it's a lot of guys that, you know, is Dean Wade for sure in the rotation is... And some of these guys aren't here, right? Yeah. So who is the best option to play the four next to Evan Mobley on this roster in these moments with him at the five? Who Do they have the right four to play next to him in this way right now? If you want to go really small, maybe you try Max Struess at that spot, just because Struess is a wing player. Ugh. Like, yeah, I heard you go. Oh, I hate can I? Yeah, I know yeah, you I hate, hate it. it. Like, I'm not a fan of it either. But like, that's if you're going super small, I would say. But on just like a natural like four quote unquote player, it's probably George Niang, just because he has that shooting upside. Like you mentioned, Lamar Stevens. You mentioned Jetty Osmond. You mentioned Isaac Okoro. You mentioned Dean Wade. 
two fifty percent of those players are three point shooters, but like Dean Wade showed us last year that it's not super consistent, especially after the injury and Jetty Osmond's so hit or miss, as we know, just from his entire time with the Cavs. Like it's hard to really like say like Jetty's like the reliable option. Like if you just look at like what the Cavs have available, it's probably George Niang or Maybe another option emerges. Maybe it's his brother if he somehow shows like a three point shooting shot. But like right Boy. now, it's just from a pure shooting upside because you have to assume like Mobley's not going to be like an otherworldly three point shooter in like a stretch five a la like Brooke Lopez that you give him the space to operate down low so he's more comfortable offensively. And also, I think he's comfortable covering for a guy like George Niang, who's not the best defender, even Max Struess, who would be pretty overmatched as a small ball four. Um, but like those guys like just have like pure raw shooting upside give you the path at least to make Mobley much more comfortable, much more viable on offense. And then at the same juncture, let him just do his thing on defense. There is going to be one game this year. I'm calling it right. I'm calling my shot now. We can end on this. Sure. Their Mobley's going to be at the five. It's going to be like Niang or Dean waited before. They're going to be struggling on the glass. Mm-hmm. And you're going to see J.B. Bickers have motion to the bench. And he's going to rage sub Tristan Thompson into play with Evan Mobley. Hey, you know what? I wish we had the clip. Maybe Jake can pull it up for us. But, like, remember that possession when the Cavs were playing the Sixers and Tristan Thompson grabbed the defensive board, dribbled it all the way up, and then just heaved up a three-pointer with four seconds left in the shot clock? Tristan Thompson showed he's a stretch five under John Bayline. The Cavs should just empower him to explore that further at 32 years old. <laughs> I, I don't think that. I know you're saying I, that. I, just, I'm saying that in pure jest, by the way. Yeah, uh, that era of Cavs basketball like truly might be dark. the bleakest era. Of, like, like if we like, and at least in modern history, it was the darkest era. Like bleakest, we weren't we weren't bleakest, alive for the Stepien era of Cavs basketball. Yeah, but like the bleakest since like Le, pre LeBron the first time. Okay, that's valid. and I think I like insanely bleak that John Bayline was your coach. You were that bad. You had Andre Drummond on your team and traded picks for him and were maybe considering extending him. You're the coach that you went out of your way to say your owner didn't want to, that wasn't your owner as to hire, even though I think everyone believes it was the owner you wanted to hire. Uh, got fired for, for some language. Mm. And then you ended up here. Like you, you got like the, your best young player that season isn't on the team anymore, and Darius Garland's not really good, and he got Donovan Mitchell, he got Evan Mobley, it all worked out. Um, Wait, who was the best young player that's not on the team anymore? Sexton was the best young player on that team that year. That's That Beeline season, Sexton was the best of, like, a, in terms of actual encore production, was the best player, was the best player that season. Hmm, yeah. No. I uh, look, in terms of just, like, pure, like, encore contribution, yeah. yes. But, yeah. like, I, I, that's when, I think that was the season when I'm like, okay, well, Garland that was Garland's rookie Dar- year. Yeah, that was. But, uh, yeah, that was but I saw Darius Garland. Garland I'm like, okay, I, I see the vision. I understand why the yes. Cavs took Darius Garland. Like, this is a dude that can be the dude for them. Yeah. Um. Yeah. All right. So we're getting there. Coming back later this week. We're gonna start. To, we're, we're, yeah. We're gonna do t- a lot has happened because remember that's the lead into the COVID season. Yeah, that's the COVID I year. Know. That's the season they get shut down due to COVID, and then we were in the wilderness. That's, for- that's the year I bet our listeners I'd get a butterfly tattoo if Andre Drummond got extended. And thank God I don't have one. Maybe at your maybe I'll get you drunk enough at your wedding and you can get one. Think I'll be happy about that? No, but it's me, 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 me and Birdman. Birdman Joe get you a, a butterfly in your face. I I wouldn't. Why would I mess up perfection? Just throwing ideas out. 
Uh, we'll be okay. back later this week. We have a little game we're going to play. What did we not talk about enough last season? I'm not going to bounce back and forth on some things that last season we didn't talk about enough as we look ahead to this upcoming season. But until then, I'm Chris Manning. That's Evan Damerell. Thanks again to Jake Stevens for producing. <laughs>